0: We now continue with reading uh, portions of God's word Genesis chapter 27 verses 41 through 46 now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you from there. Why why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women if Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these one of the women of the land what good will my life be to me and now would you turn to first Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 22 And actually, before I, uh, I do read, uh, just to let you know, the focus of the sermon text, the focus of the sermon particularly will be verses 13 through 17, but we'll read verses uh, through 22 as well. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. In the sermon, would you join me in asking God for help? Blessed are you, O Lord. Blessed you are, eternal God, in times past and yet today. You have spoken in the past, and your people have been guided through all kinds of wildernesses and supported in all kinds of exiles and tribulations. Speak to us today in the midst of our own peculiar confusions. Speak to us through your law and give us a sense of order and direction. And speak to us through your gospel. Transform us by your grace and renew us in hope. For yours is the future even more than the past. Amen and amen. I don't know about you, but I have a pronounced fear of heights. I'm, I'm okay being up here. Um, some of you might have a fear of what I'm doing, uh, public speaking. I was reading this past week of a certain celebrity who has a phobia of buttons. Yes, buttons. I didn't know it. I, I, I looked it up. There is an actual, it's called button phobia. In 1975, after the movie Jaws premiered, some of you might be old enough to remember that, everyone, including me, suddenly feared swimming, even even in swimming pools. And of course, the thing we we, we hear in the US fear most, and this is where Google comes in handy, Uh, According to recent algorithms, what do you think is the number one phobia in our country? Well, it's failure. Failure is the number one phobia. And that's followed by a fear of blood, water, and intimacy. Spiders and the outdoors are tied to round out the top five phobias in the U.S., And I think what this list shows is just, it it tells a lot about the person, doesn't it? What you fear reveals a lot about what's going on inside of you. So what about you? What do you most fear? And what might be the consequences of your fears, whether rational or otherwise. Our text for today's sermon is from 1 Peter 3 13 through 17. Uh, we've read it already. Uh, I did have a different title originally and a different emphasis, although with the same portion of scripture. The title of our sermon text is actually Proper Fear Amid Unjust Suffering proper fear amid unjust suffering, and we're gonna discuss two important points. First, how a proper fear amid unjust suffering, and we're gonna unpack what that means in a bit, leads to right words. Second, how a proper fear amid unjust suffering leads to right actions. It leads to right words and to right actions i'll conclude with two important implications let's begin with our first point proper fear amid unjust suffering leads to right words now let's back up a little bit i think one of the last times i was here i was preaching if i'm not mistaken uh, on first peter and maybe it's been a while since you've been in the text and and read it maybe it's been a while since it's been preached to you but very very briefly here's what's going on peter is called who wrote it the apostle of hope he's trying to instill hope in this new church these exiled christians in northern asia who are suffering greatly they're being tempted to forsake the faith literally the the it could be argued that the future of of christendom hinges on whether these five regional churches stick it out or not what are they going to Are they going to make it, or are they going to throw in the towel? And so Peter is writing this letter that is going to be circulated to these five churches, all with one hope, to inject hope. He wants to inject and instill hope in these young, growing, exiled Christians. So let's begin with our first point proper fear amid unjust suffering suffering leads to right words look with me at verses 13 through 15 and he asks the rhetorical question now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Not that these early Christians were all being persecuted for their faith in Christ, and that is very important. This letter, just backing up from a historical context, was written before what we consider the Great Persecution. During the first few centuries of the Christian church, right, under the, uh, what, what's commonly understood as oppressive Roman rule. You think of sort of the Colosseum and the lions and that sort of thing. That wasn't going on yet at this time. So it's as if when Peter's writing this, he, he has his finger on the culture's pulse, and he's kind of looking at where things are, and he's forecasting what, where he sees things trending and he knows that the time to prepare for intense suffering that was to come for future christians isn't when it's at your doorstep right that's not the time when it's when it's land when it's right there that's not the time to prepare it's too late it's before it begins so what was the situation for peter's initial readers again I already mentioned, not that they were all enduring persecution under Greco-Roman rule. How do I know that? That's clear in verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And the apparent reason for this suffering, not only doing good deeds, or even ones that are distinctly Christian. Rather, Peter poses the question in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you? If, and here's the important qualifier, you are zealous for what is good. Now, at first glance, it might seem as if Peter's words are dismissive or making light of their present situation. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? And I can sort of imagine those churches, again, this is a circular letter, they're reading it, they're in exile. More than a few of them responding, well, the duh, the local authorities. And I, Peter only drives home the point even more. The middle of verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. What's Peter's antidote? It's that little word at the beginning of verse 15, but who is there to harm you? Even if you should suffer, don't fear them. Don't fear them. And now he tells us who to fear, a fear that supersedes the fear of unjust suffering by the authorities. Let's continue with verse 15. So don't fear them. Don't fear what might happen to you. Don't fear the consequences of doing good. We're going to get into practical implications later. we're, We're going to get into that. So hold on to that. Instead, he writes in verse 15, honor in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy that's who you're to fear he's echoing the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in chapter 8 bracing for the coming Assyrian invasion the Lord tells Isaiah in verses 12 and 13 do not fear what they fear nor be in dread but the Lord Yahweh of hosts him you shall honor as holy let him be your fear And that's what Peter's saying to this church. Honor Christ as holy. Set him apart as the Holy One. And here's where we arrive at our first point. Proper fear amid unjust suffering leads to right words. Look with me at the middle of verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. What does he mean by this hope it, it, he, he doesn 't mean a, a hope that 's residing in the individual christian rather it 's a hope and this is important around which these christians collective lives are centered. Do you see the what he, the, the point he 's making it 's not in the individual hope that he 's pointing out in 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 your life he 's pointing to the the Hope, the collective hope, among these this group of regional exiled Christians Around which their lives are centered as a people It's not uncommon uh, for many Christians today to think of this verse as the primary text for apologetics, right? Be prepared to make a defense for the, the hope that is within you a defense of the faith in all circumstances and all times and to be to be clear there is we ought to be doing that but Peter's context here is clear it's likely that these uh, Christian circumstances were far more dire their faith resulted in standing before a court of law and in that situation and they'd be tempted to fear the consequences of following Jesus. And that could be harsh physical punishment, prison sentence, or verbal abuse, maybe all of the above and more. And so Peter, in that situation, in that context, says, here's how, when you're in that situation, here's how you should speak. Yes, provide a reason for the hope that's in you, but how you do it is as important as the content. How? with gentleness and respect again let's think back to the peter's original readers these group of scattered christians throughout asia and we can infer given that they were exiled they're scattered they're not together that they weren't in their comfortable christian bubble inoculated from their surrounding culture otherwise peter wouldn't be telling them not to fear them right if (laughs) If they were comfortable in doing fine, you wouldn't say, don't fear them or be troubled. Rather, this was a group of Christ followers who were zealous to do good in his name. And their surrounding unbelieving culture could not help but notice Let's step back and consider what might be some implications of this verse for us today, for you and me right now. In our uh, Christian circles, it's not uncommon to provide a testimony of how we came to faith in Christ. And, And we ought to be able to provide that clearly, articulately, intelligently, making it comprehensible to those who are listening. But Peter's words push us out of our comfort zone they force us to consider making our testimony intelligible and credible to an unbelieving audience let me ask you a question when is the last time you've been asked for the reason you're a Christian just point-blank why are you can I talk to you for a second why are you a Christian and then that's 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 all they ask. <laughs> when is the last time that that has actually happened? <sighs> and by someone who's not a Christian, maybe even someone that is antagonistic or hostile toward Christians. This should compel us to engage our surrounding cultures in ways that won't compromise our witness but in ways that will make our witness unmistakable. Note how Peter says we should respond in that situation when, they, when we are asked, with gentleness and respect. In other words, making a defense of the Christian faith isn't a license for acting like a jerk. Boy, I could probably stand up here and list a lot of various names of podcasts or YouTubers or writers, Creatures that would do well to heed Peter's words here or even treating the ones that we're in discourse with as lesser than us. And isn't this hard to do? Isn't it? Especially when you might be ridiculed or belittled for being a Christian. Now I don't I don't know about you, but sometimes maybe more than sometimes I, I've, I've, I've done the exact opposite I, I'm talking with someone about the Christian faith the discussion gets a little animated gets a little heated he lobs an insult here maybe a condescending jab there and my natural tendency in that moment is to not only attack the person's position but the person right and don't you find that the closer the individual is to you in a relationship, they're a family member, maybe they're a, a close coworker, a confidant, you have a, a deeper history with them, it's harder to do, right? Peter's words here provide helpful instruction and encouragement as we seek to engage the surrounding culture in our Christian witness. Yes, speak about our hope in Jesus with gentleness and respect. Proper fear, that is, honoring Christ as holy and not fearing the unjust consequences for our faith in Jesus. And boy, that's taking on different meaning in our culture today, isn't it? Pronouns to use which words you're being legislated to say or not say. What will happen if I don't say this or fear this or don't recognize this or respond to this? Well, a lot can happen, right? You can be ostracized. You could lose your job. You can get called into, you know, the principal's office. I mean, you could be ostracized, blacklisted by your neighbors. Maybe some of you already are. Honoring Christ as holy and not fearing unjust consequences for our faith in Jesus leads to right words. That's the first point. And our second point is that proper fear amid unjust suffering leads to right actions. Right words won't necessarily lead to right results. Look with me at verse 16 having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior. Now, this isn't referring to just general moral conduct, being honest, or not cheating on your taxes, putting your grocery cart back in the stall. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about Good behavior in Christ, and that, that qualifier is, is important for us to grasp. Good behavior in Christ, not moralism, not doing things that other people do that are sort of social norms. Good behavior in Christ. So let me ask, what might be some implications for us Today, even when you treat and speak with others about Jesus in ways that are gentle and respectful, does not guarantee a positive outcome. Indeed, Peter anticipates the opposite, doesn't he, here? When you are slandered... Those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they're above board, they're above par, they're they're living lives that are morally exemplary in a culture hostile or indifferent to the faith, and yet, when you are slandered, let's stop here and ask two important questions. First, does following Jesus always guarantee suffering and persecution second if so is it God's will that you suffer for following Jesus those are big questions aren't they kids maybe you're listening to this going what does it mean to follow Jesus what does it mean to be a Christian maybe you're An adult, and you're visiting here, and a recent visitor or a newcomer, and you want to know more about this Christian faith. What can I expect if I make a profession of faith in Jesus? How will it change my life and my relationships? The short answer. Well, let's, let's actually tackle the first question. Does following Jesus always guarantee suffering and persecution? <clears throat> the short answer is no. Even if you should suffer, he writes in verse 14, right? Even if you should suffer, and yet the reality is of suffering as Christians was the primary reason that Peter wrote this letter. And so while following Jesus doesn't always guarantee it that is suffering, we should nevertheless anticipate it. Always anticipate it. Second, if you are If you endure suffering as a Christian, whether you have in the past, or you are now, or you will in the future, is that God's will for you? More pointedly, would a loving God allow you to suffer in your witness for Christ? Peter's language in verse 17 is clear. It can best be uh, understood as literally if the will of God wills, if the will of God wills that you should suffer. One commentator sums it up well. Suffering is a possibility, that is, as a Christian. And again, he's not talking to he's not talking about suffering's all of humanity experiences illness loss of job depression sickness those are types of suffering suffering for doing good suffering for doing good in Jesus name that's the that's something we have to remember suffering is a possibility but not a certainty the will of god might possibly will a christian to suffer for doing good Peter affirms it's not God's purpose to make Christians suffer. But the very fact that at least some of the Christians in Asia Minor and others since have suffered unjustly for living rightly implies that it was in some sense God's will for them at that moment in that situation. Do you hear what what he's saying? Another commentator on this passage has this to say: God wills for His people to live faithfully and to do what is right, even if the response of an unbelieving world causes them to suffer. I mean, that's hard to hear. Is this good? This is this isn't a feel-good sermon, right? And followed this is hard. Right? Living life as a follower of Jesus in the world, out outside of these walls, and these doors, outside maybe for some of you even inside of your home, it's hard. Out there? What's the upshot? It is not God's purpose. It is not God's purpose. That you, as a Christian, suffer in all places and at all times. Rather, it is God's will that you remain faithful and obedient. Even if it results in suffering. We just talked about how proper fear amid unjust suffering results in right words and right actions. So let's step back and ask the question. In light of 1 Peter 3 13 and 17, there are two significant implications, just two. First, his words are an encouragement to live faithfully between two worlds. When's the last time anyone asked you, I asked you this earlier, about why you believe in Christ? Do, do people sit up and take notice of your life as a follower of Jesus? I'm not asking this to, to guilt-rid you. Some of you are much more extroverts, and you just love that interaction, and you're quick on your feet, and you love it. Others are wallflowers, and you are like, okay, don't, please don't ask me that question. Everybody's different. But do people sit up and take notice of your life as a follower of Jesus? It is more comfortable, isn't it? It is more comfortable for us to always want to be around Christians, those who largely think and act like us. But this is not the vision that Peter has for the Christian life. It's not the vision that he has for the Christian church. He neither advocates withdrawing from society, the one hand nor launching a hostile attack on it (laughs) you see those are two extremes oh no I'm withdrawing I'm not going to be a part of it and the other is just attack 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 You're, you're in it and you're just attacking all the time rather as one commentator writes that although the Christian community may be a colony in a strange land and you are that let me look around you there's not, most of the people in this neighborhood are, are at home. They're in their pajamas. They're eating late breakfast, getting ready to eat a lunch. They're, they're reading the paper, watching TV. Who knows what they're doing? They don't care that you're here. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care about God. You are a strange people getting up, getting ready to worship God on the Sabbath day. This is peculiar. You are peculiar. I'm going to say it, just for the record. I'll be, I'll be here tonight with my wife. I'm glad my wife's not here right now. She'd be, honey, maybe you shouldn't have said that. But it's true. You are a Christian community. In many ways, you're a colony. You're not, you're not your own. We join with others, right? Where there, there are other faithful remnants in other churches in the metro, in the United States, in the West, in the world. We link arms. Although that's true, cultural isolation is not to be the route taken by this Christian community. Rather, the community is to live its life openly in the midst of the unbelieving world and just as openly to be prepared to explain the reasons for it. Right? Do you hear what he's saying? So get out there. Get out there. And some of you are already making intentional efforts to think, how am I going to be sort of a witness and light and salt, maybe abrasive in a positive way, agitator, an instigator for the kingdom. Get out there individually, get out there together. This is a call to get uncomfortable, get uncomfortable. Engage your surrounding culture right here in the twin cities as faithful witnesses for Jesus. And as you do, learn to communicate your faith in ways that are credible, that are intelligible and understandable and winsome with gentleness and respect to our surrounding culture. Second, and we're landing the plane here, in case you're wondering, there is no third and there is no fourth. There's not another set of one, two, and three. Second, know that if you suffer persecution as a Christian, and maybe some of you, maybe that's someone who, right now, I don't know. Even when saying and doing the right things, as far as you understand them to be, that you are in privileged company. Right? During the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records Jesus' words in chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And what does he say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. And I, and I can say right now, looking to all of you with his word, blessed are you and you and you. When others revile you, And persecute you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Not for being a jerk, not for being an idiot, not for just for the sake of you like to be that offensive one. But on my account, on my account, on Christ's account, rejoice. And be glad, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The one who spoke these words would suffer unjustly for his words and actions. The one that Peter wrote of earlier in chapter two, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Yes, steps that for Christ led to the cross. And because of his life and his death and resurrection, we live today as his followers and we can be assured that the one who has gone before us in suffering is now in glory, right? We're celebrating Easter tide, 50 days, Pentecost, Ascension. And yet, as he gave the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, going into all the world as his witnesses, it surely had to have seemed like an insurmountable task. Just a few days after, The resurrection, he's just getting ready to be ascended, and he gathers this motley crew around him and gives them the great commission. What was the disciples' hope? What is our hope today? What's your hope, mission? Matthew records Christ's words that conclude his gospel. And behold, I am with you always. Always. Even to the end of the age. Friends, we have his faithful presence right here and right now. And forever. So with that, we don't have to succumb to fear as Christ witnesses. He is with you always, always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, who will harm us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? No amount of tribulation or persecution. Help us, Father, as we proclaim your gospel in word and deed. And if it's your will that any of us should suffer for doing good, would you grant us your power, and your presence, comfort, and hope to not be crushed by it, but to bear up well under it. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, who also suffered wrong for righteousness' sake. And so use us. Use This church from the youngest to the oldest. From the newest Christian to the oldest saint. As instruments of your blessed kingdom of righteousness, truth, grace, mercy, and love. To our family and our friends, our peers, co-workers, even or especially our enemies. Do these things, O Lord. For we ask in your precious Son's name, Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.